0: Let us pray. Almighty and most gracious Father, thank You for this, Your Word that You have given us today. Thank You that You have poured Your Spirit out through this Word. And we ask that Your Spirit would be at work in us, to renew us, to deliver us from our sinful natures, to grant to us refreshment, and that you would continually direct our paths ever nearer to yourself. And grant us strength for each day that you call us forth. All of this we do ask through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So the other part of today that I didn't mention at the very beginning is that this is also for us Anglicans within the ACNA, within the Anglican Church in North America is also our World Mission Sunday. This is a day that we also reflect upon the work that God has called us to do throughout the world. And I thought, how appropriate that we're having two baptisms and also thinking about world mission, thinking about the mission that God calls His church to That He has called us forth out of where we are and to go throughout the world. That's not necessarily every single person who ever becomes a Christian is called to the far reaches of the world, but we are all called as the church as a whole to participate in that. To offer up prayers and thanksgivings for the work that God is doing. To offer up support for those who go forth and to pray and ask, is this where you are calling me to, Lord? to be willing to listen and to pursue where God calls us. For He calls us out in vocations. He calls us forward into relationships with those around us. And it's not just toward world mission that we are called, but we are called toward mission in general. Toward a recognition that every aspect of our lives is a place where God is making Himself known through us. In our passage today, we hear of the Great Commission there in the Gospel. As Matthew As Jesus sets us apart, the disciples, to send them out into the world. To tell them that they will go and that their job is to make disciples. To not just evangelize. To not just tell people about Jesus. And when they say, I believe in Jesus, to then be like, alright, you're on your own and go on. But to disciple. To make students of. To bring to them understanding of who this Jesus is, of what this faith is that they are entering into to help them to grasp the blessing and the enormity of God's grace for them. That is what it means to disciple and that is what Jesus calls these disciples to today and through them, His whole church to. One Anglican priest, Charles Erlandson, in a commentary on this passage, he said, this Is the greatness of the Great Commission that God, who created men out of the dust of the earth, now takes fallen man, who deserved nothing but to return to the dust, and makes his home with him? That God, who created man out of the dust, of the art by breathing his, who created man out of the dust, now imparts by breathing his spirit into them and makes them living beings. Now takes those lifeless, cowardly, doubting and betraying bodies, breathes his spirit upon them and makes them a living being called the body of Jesus Christ. And it is this mystical body of Christ that he will use to disciple the nations, to bring his kingdom and to redeem the cosmos. Perhaps he could have chosen to do it without us, but he chose to use us. So, Jesus has called us and set us apart. He calls us into mission. He calls us out of ourselves and into these vocations of relationships with all those around us. To make Jesus known. To make the gospel known. To speak these words and to live out these words that are the gospel. That our Christ has died for your sins and has been raised for your justification. That we have died in Christ and been raised to new life in Him. That He has poured His Spirit upon us and calls us into a new way of being. And the only way that that can happen is for Jesus to have the authority to do so. To call us out and to support us in the work that we do. And that's what we see first here in Matthew twenty-eight sixteen. That is That as the disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. As Jesus comes to express His authority, we have the disciples coming to the mountain in Galilee that He told them to go to. Now we don't know at what point this is happening after the resurrection. We do know though that the disciples traveled around to wherever Jesus wanted them to go during those 40 days after His resurrection. And that He appeared to them when He needed to. We hear of all kinds of appearances throughout all four Gospels. But here is one where Jesus calls them into Galilee and it's not an accident that Matthew recounts this particular event. For what is Galilee in the Gospel of St. Matthew? He calls it Galilee of the Gentiles. Galilee of the nations. Galilee of the place where people are that are not part of God's chosen people. And so Jesus sends them to Galilee, the Gentiles, to the mountain He had directed them. And He comes and meets them there in order to prepare them for commissioning to go out into the world. Jesus is making a point of calling His disciples here, I think, because it is Galilee of the Gentiles. It is Galilee in the midst of the Gentiles. And He's going to send them out to make Him known to all the nations, to make disciples of all these people around them. And so He comes to them, and when they see Him, they worship Him, but it says that some doubted. One thing to recognize is that this particular word, doubt, here, there's all kinds of interpretations going on in this passage. Some say, it's not just the eleven disciples here, and others say, no, it is just the eleven. But regardless of whether there were other people who were traveling there with the disciples or not, some doubted. R.T. France points out that the word doubt here is a sense of hesitation. It's an uncertainty of what's going on. It is not a hardened and settled unbelief. In other words, these disciples are not cutting themselves off from God, but they're just certainly in a place of uncertainty. They're not sure of what is happening in this moment. They're tending toward worship, but there is hesitation on their part. It's kind of like all the responses people had toward Jesus on Easter morning that day of resurrection, they didn't know what to make of the reality that here is Jesus in front of them, the man they just saw be crucified, the man they saw laid in the tomb. And so they struggled with faith and doubt at the same time, mingled together as they leaned into the faith, as they leaned into the reality that this is Jesus. But it challenged everything they knew about the world. And I think here that is what is happening. There is a hesitation, a moment of like, what is happening here? What is about to happen? Jesus is here in front of me and yet my senses and my experiences saw Him die on the cross and even though I have seen Him multiple times there is still struggle to bring everything together and understand what God is doing in this man Jesus. And so in this moment, this is not the wrong kind of doubt. It is hesitation that's seeking understanding. It is hesitation that continues to move forward in trust and faith. Seeking answers. Seeking the Lord to fill them with understanding. And how does Jesus come to fill them with understanding? He expresses His authority over them. Not just over them, but over all things. In verse 18, He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. He has authority. And this authority has been given to Him. I like how Matthew writes that and how Jesus says that. It has been given, which gives that sense that it is through the resurrection that this authority now belongs to Jesus. That on account of resurrection, He now has authority over all things. It is by that act of death and then entering into resurrection that He has been revealed as the one true Messiah before the world. He is the King of all things, the Redeemer, who laid down His life as a sacrifice before the Father. And that has been received. And so He has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And thus is the all-powerful One. And the Father has accepted and received Him. And is now making Him known. And revealing Him to all the world. And of course this should perk up our ears and direct us back to Daniel chapter 7 where we see... A vision, and hear of a vision that Daniel saw of the Ancient of Days and thrones. Not just one throne, but thrones being set up in heaven. And the Ancient of Days taking his seat upon one of them. And then one like the Son of Man coming before him in Daniel seven thirteen and 14. And him receiving all authority and all power over heaven and earth. That the Ancient of Days bestows that power and authority onto the Son of Man. And here Jesus is that Son of Man who has received all authority that has been given to Him. And of course, this doesn't mean that the world now is as it should be. The authority that Jesus has isn't one that completely remakes the world instantaneously. But it is a taking. But it is an authority that takes the world from where it is and it carries it forward to where God intends it to be. N.T. Wright said it this way that Jesus is working to take it from where it was under the rule not only of death but of corruption, greed, and envy and every kind of wickedness and to bring it by slow means and quick under the rule of His life-giving love. So Jesus has all authority and He is shaping and reshaping this world through His disciples, through the people that He sends forth for that's what He does now in verse 19. He says, Go therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The disciples are now commissioned to go forth and make disciples. We often think, in all my years of reading this, I always think that go there, the go therefore is the main command here. Go therefore. But that's not how it is. It just that's how it comes across in English that really the main thrust of of those two verses is make disciples. Turn people into non-students, into students of Myself. Take them out of the darkness and bring them into My light. That is what Jesus is calling them to do, to make disciples. And in order for them to make disciples, they must therefore be going out into the world. They must be spreading themselves out and going to wherever they are led by the Spirit. That they go into the world And make disciples. And what is beautiful is He gives us the pattern for making disciples. Baptizing and teaching. You don't have one without the other. They go hand in hand. As we bring Della and Hollis to be baptized, we're not just baptizing them and then just turning them loose. We're baptizing them into the Father and into the Son and into the Holy Spirit. God Himself is laying claim of them in baptism. And now they are called into a new kind of life. They are called into a life of being disciples, being trained and taught and brought up as believers to be encouraged in the faith and to be directed to the faith, to be taught the Word of God, to be guided by His law, found in the Ten Commandments, seeing in those Ten Commandments a guide that will convict of sin, but will also show them the path that God has laid before them that He gives them that guide. He gives us that guide to direct us, to help us know where we are sinning and to confess our sin before Him so that we can more and more know the forgiveness that He has poured out through baptism upon us so that we can more and more embrace the work that He has accomplished in Jesus for us. And so we are being not just baptized but to be taught to go into further trust in Jesus, to grow in Him, to cling to Jesus with all of our being. And thus, baptism is not an end in itself. But it is the beginning of new life. For what is one baptized into? As I just said, one is baptized into the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The name of the triune God is placed upon each and every one of us who are baptized. And thus, the baptized are incorporated into a new kind of life. Into a new kind of being. Having the name of God placed upon them. They're lifted out of where they are and placed under the care and provision of God Himself. Taken out of being solely in the world, being a member of the world, being under the kingdom and rule of Satan, and brought unto the kingdom of God. For in baptism we were called forth out of darkness and into light. Called away from ourselves and into the life of Christ. No longer belonging to ourselves, but belonging to God alone. And so the baptized are bought and purchased by God. We all belong to Him alone and are called into that new life. Called into a new way to be human. And all of this is by God's grace. Water on its own cannot do this, but water, comprehended by the Word, by God's command, by His grace, becomes the mark of salvation upon us, becomes the mark of our being separated from the world and being made holy and sanctified by God Himself. That pouring out of water is the pouring of the Spirit to begin His work of salvation in the baptized. And in that baptism, God gives Himself, He gives us Jesus that we would be enabled to more and more receive the gifts that He is giving us To receive the reality of who God is. And of course that leads into the teaching part. That we are baptized and we are then taught. We are then taught to understand, to comprehend, to lay hold of the truths of God. That in baptism, we die with Christ. And we are raised with Him into new life. And thus we are put on a new path. And we are guided by His commandments, by His law and by His gospel into that new life and on that new life. And this sounds like so much stuff is happening and it really is. This is an important place of being set apart and separated from the world into something different. But we aren't alone in that. For while Jesus has authority and He has sent us forth to make disciples throughout the world, we don't go by ourselves. Jesus is always present to us. For he says there in verse 20, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What's beautiful is how Matthew crafts his gospel. As I said, at the early part of the gospel, he referred to Galilee as Galilee of the Gentiles. And here at the end, Jesus calls them back to this place of the Gentiles and sends them into the world to make disciples of all nations. And here at the very end, he says, Jesus says, I am with you always. This is a fulfilling of the very words that the angel gave to Joseph in Matthew 1.23. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. And thus he shall be called Jesus. The prophecy pointing to the name Emmanuel is about Jesus. And here Jesus fulfills that by saying, I will be with you always. I will am not just in the future with you but i am with you now with you always until the end of the age matthew brings both the beginning and the end of his gospel he brings them together and is reminding us of the work of god that jesus is god in the flesh and that jesus is god with us and he will be with us always not just in some generic presence some generic concept of oh yes god is present with me i can be a happy person but a Literal, real, true presence with us. He is present as Himself, dwelling within. Through faith, He comes to dwell in us. That it might be He that lives in us and no longer ourselves. That we die to ourselves in order that because Jesus comes to dwell within us. He makes it His prerogative to be with us because that is who He is, God with us. We are never without Him in our lives. And that is why He can send us forth. Because He remains with us wherever we go. He is always perfectly present to each and every one of us. He is always perfectly with us. In Himself, both divinity and humanity. For He is both because He is Jesus. The person of Jesus goes with you wherever you go. And again, going back to what R.T. France says, I love how he just points out this isn't some cozy statement. It's not some sentimental statement. Oh yes, God is with me. But it's a necessary requirement for our response to Him. That if we're going to respond to one who has all authority in heaven and on earth to go and make disciples, if we're going to respond to that in the way that we need to respond with faith and trust and love and hope, And not with fear and trembling, being utterly afraid of this Jesus, of this God, thinking that if I mess up and stumble along the way, He's going to strike me down. We have to have the presence of Jesus with us. And so Jesus promises it. We can't go forth without His presence with us. He goes with us so that we would be empowered. Not in our own abilities, but by His very presence. He makes Himself known by being present in us that then our words and our actions are filled with who He is. He is with us as we go out to make Him known. Without Him being with us, our actions out in the world would be for naught. Our actions would not accomplish anything for the kingdom in the ultimate sense. If He doesn't go with His baptized people as we go forth fulfilling the vocations He gives to us and making disciples in the midst of those vocations. If He doesn't go with us, if He's not present, then all of that falls apart. His very presence is the very assurance that He is working in us. That He is going to use our words and our actions. He is going to use our discipling of our children and all those around us. He's going to use our actions to bring about lasting effects in others. That is the purpose of this promise. To encourage us, to build us up, to make Himself known more deeply to us. His going forth with us means that we can rest in His power. We can rest in His authority with trust and love. That He will accomplish what He has commanded us to do. That we go forth faithfully, trusting Him to accomplish this great and glorious work He has chosen to do with us. And that is why we remember that we are called to be people of mission. We are called away from where we are and out into the world, wherever that world may be before us. And that is how God always works. Think of what we heard about of Abraham in the Old Testament. He is called out of his home into an unknown land. But what does God do? He promises to be with him. He promises that he will make Abraham to become a blessing unto the world. And that Abraham will be blessed by God to become that blessing and out of Abraham will be the great blessing of a Savior. And so Abraham goes forth because he knows that God is with him. That if God is going to bless him and make him become a blessing to others, then God must be with him somehow. God must be going forth along with him. But it's not just that he becomes a blessing, but those will be cursed who curse him. Both things happen because of what God has called Abraham into. That those who reject Abraham will find that they don't have the blessing of God with them, but they have the curse of God until they turn and repent. It's the same as what St. Paul said, that we are the aroma of life to some and the aroma of death to others. To those who are ready to receive the gospel, they receive life by our presence. As we speak the word of life, as we speak the truth of God, They're moved to receive it, and thus we become an aroma of life. But for those who reject God, who reject Jesus, who reject the gospel, we are the aroma of death, for we are first calling them into death. We are continually being called in and of ourselves by the Word of God, by His Spirit, by the presence of Jesus, to die to ourselves in order that we could then be raised up into new life. And for those who don't want to die, we are the aroma of death. But that is all they hear, that I have to die, I have to die, I have to die. That's all they can hear. They can't hear and receive the reality that through that death that Jesus brings you to, He raises you up into new life. He raises you up into true freedom. He raises you up into the Gospel and all of its great and glorious benefits. And so some receive that glorious Gospel and others reject it. Because we sound like a curse to them. Because of our commitment to the reality of God. And so God calls us forth in mission and it is His presence in Jesus with us that will accomplish that. It is His authority given to Jesus that goes forth before us to make Him known. And we leave the work to God. We go forth faithfully, making Him known in all that we do. But it is God who creates faith. It is God who causes people to hear the aroma of life, to smell the aroma of life, to hear the words of life. It is God who causes us to turn from our sinful lives to a life of holiness and obedience. But we go forth nonetheless. We embrace the baptism God has placed upon us, knowing He has set us apart and set us free from ourselves, that we could then obey Him, that we could then live a life set apart for Him. That we could then love our neighbors truly as ourselves. That we could love our neighbors above ourselves. And we could then more and more receive the blessing of God. And so this day, know that God is for you, for He has marked you with His baptism. That He has died for your sins. That He has been raised to new life, that you would be set right before God. And He has made Himself present to be with us always as we walk in faith. And so trust and believe what God has done for you this day. And as we bring Della and Hollis up to be baptized, reflect on your own baptism in that moment. Receive anew the grace that God has given to you in baptism. Receive anew that calling to new life. And not just a calling, but the placing of that promise upon you. That you are (coughs) forgiven for Jesus' sake. And that God has claimed you as His own in order that He can give to you that forgiveness and send you into the new life He has made for you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.